episode four of the Flight School Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Turner Medlicott. Joined with me here today is Adrian Walker and Jenna Lossi. I really struggled to do that intro today, uh, but it's because my mind's on other things. Uh, the NBA season is back today, and I know we're all really excited about that. Uh, how, how are y'all's excitement levels today? What a wonderful day. This is... This is like Christmas before Christmas. I'm wearing my festive uh, OKC ugly Christmas sweater. Um, I, I'm really excited. It's a great day to be back, uh, December 22nd, and, and th- there's a lot that we can get into. Jonah, how are you feeling? Oh, I mean, my priorities are just way out of whack. Um, I honestly forgot that the NBA season was back, and I was more worried about getting a rapid COVID test this morning and finishing my Christmas shopping. So um, I am excited. The NBA is probably my favorite overall league. Um, So you can't really – I think it's so beautiful because even in these episodes leading up to this podcast, we talk about the offseason, the trades, the drama. It is – it is it is the bachelor for men a lot of the time like it, it is well I, I'm, I'm joking because everyone watches the bachelor look at turner we're all you know we it's just exciting to have this drama filled ridiculous reality show of a of a sport back we've kind of had some some things wrapped up against you know around um other off-season uh news um, the James Harden saga has continued, um, but it seems like teams are kind of pulling out of that scenario. Houston's asking for too much, um, and and people are kind of had enough. Um, Adrian, you want to kind of go into more of that? Yeah, well, I mean, when you ask Philadelphia for three first-round picks plus Ben Simmons just for James Harden, whose value has been steadily decreasing, you know, um, earlier today news came out that he got in an altercation with a rookie teammate of his. Um, and I mean, it's just a bad look, not only for the organization, but for James Harden um, himself. And so you had the Denver Nuggets who were considering trading Jamal Murray. Um, you had the 76ers with, with Ben Simmons. You had the Miami Heat um, with Tyler Hero. All of those teams have pretty much pulled out now. Um, of the James Harden trade talks. And you have to wonder if if Harden is not getting along with his teammates and no one wants to trade for him, then what's this season going to – like, how's it going to pan out? Because if, if, if Harden doesn't want to play, he doesn't have to technically play. He could sit out a whole season like Kawhi sat out. Um, and granted, those are completely different scenarios. Um, but – it's a possibility that we don't see James Harden play basketball this year. Or we see him like we saw um, in that kind of scathing ESPN feature on him. Um, sometimes that he, he did when Chris Paul was his teammate and just, you know, when he's not involved in the offense, just not try. Um, and I, can I mean, see- that's just, that's just a natural part of his game he doesn't move off sure but i can almost see a more blatant extension of that this season him still playing but like playing in such a way that it's clearly uh a middle finger to the franchise and just this like weird discomfort with the the team um which would just send that whole franchise down in flames but i mean i think that's kind of where that franchise is heading right now so it's already a dumpster fire all that has to happen (laughs) is it get thrown in the dump But, I, I really feel bad, uh, honestly, for everyone involved. It's it's a such a lose-lose situation because Harden is losing because he doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. But he's also, you know, caused a lot of distress uh, in the front office among his teammates, all that. And the front office doesn't want to get fleeced um, in one of these trades where, okay, you give up your star player and you get two first-round picks out of him or something. Like, they don't want that to happen. But what's happening now is with Harden's attitude is being surfaced on another level. We knew he always had an interesting work ethic and relationship with some other star players, but he's becoming an asset that is requiring too much to trade just in kind of uh, insurance assets, because 
really their point now with that, I think they've screwed themselves out of a deal because if the Philadelphia 76ers are genuinely offering Ben Simmons as trade bait, they screwed up because Ben Simmons for James Harden, James Harden's more valuable. But if you can get someone like Ben Simmons on your team at an under 26 point guard with tons of potential, sure, underperforming at times, but tons of potential, and you just give that up because you couldn't get three first round picks, I think they're not going to get anything that they want from this trade anymore. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, James Harden's also got just this massive contract. Um, you know how. Houston was struggling to trade away Russell Westbrook because he had a, a massive figure, massive figures attached to his, to his contract. Um, it's the same way with James Harden. Not only is the organization in trouble with, with finding assets that match Harden's talent level, but you also have to find assets that match his value, like in money. Um, right. And, and I think that's kind of becoming a trend around the league, if I'm being honest, like we saw this this past week, Rudy Gobert signed a just absolutely ridiculous contract Oof. for two hundred and five million. Um, I think he's what the third highest paid player now. He's um, the highest paid center in the league. Highest paid center. Nowhere, in the he's nowhere close to the best center in the league. They the Jazz paid more for he's Rudy Gobert than the Lakers. Player in the history of the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what it? I mean, on a lower level, we, we saw we saw the the Clippers hilariously sign Luke Kennard to a four year, sixty four million dollar deal for what? For why? I like he's a solid role player, I guess, but it's not a really a franchise six man of the year contender, anything like that. Like I don't. <laughs> I mean. Seeing- Weird inflation of, of. I guess they know Paul George can't go icing, so they'll give it to Luke. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, what's what's crazy to me is like, it's not just, it, like, it's not just Rudy Gobert's, and it's not just Anthony Davis's who are getting contract extensions. Like, you look at Markel Fultz in Orlando; he signed a three-year, fifty million dollar extension. You look at OG Ananobi in Toronto; he signed a four-year, seventy-two million dollar extension. Um, Luke Kennard it's just it seems like players who don't who haven't necessarily earned a big contract are receiving them and so that's why I felt lucky when you know Kyle Kuzma's contract was extended earlier this week too and it was three years 40 million and I was like compared to some of these other bonkers contracts that players are getting that's good value that's great value because you know, based on the trend that we're seeing, we might have had to end up paying that guy like three years, fifty-five million or something. So, um, yeah, sort of a, a bonkers trend that we're seeing around the league. Um, and it's also interesting when you when you balance that with the news um, that we got today that the league is is seriously starting to consider. We know they've been considering expansion for a while. Leagues just tend to consider expansion sort of all the time, but um, you know, some of the lost revenue they've, they've uh, had, you know, because of the virus and the pandemic, uh, they're considering opening up, you know, expansion teams um, to sort of get back some of that uh, income, that, that value for the league. Um, and that, I mean, that part of it is exciting news. Um, I think we all know where that expansion team would, Seattle. would go. Seattle. God, that'd be so cool. Uh, yeah. that, the, everyone wants to see the Supersonics back in the league. Um, so that's exciting news. But with that, unless there's anything else around the general NBA that y'all wanted to mention, um, why don't we go into sort of what we expect from our teams this season? I know we've kind of gotten to that before, um, but I guess I'll start. Um, of course, my Lakers, it, it's pretty simple. The expectation is, is to repeat it as champions. Um, I, I think that's definitely achievable. Um, I think if I'm being realistic and not, you know, a, a Lakers fan, uh, I think it's definitely a way more difficult path to the championship. Not actually necessarily based on what's happening in the West. I, I feel about as equally confident that we can make it out of the West as I did last year. Um, 
but it's actually the moves in the East uh, that have me a little bit more concerned. The Bucks look fantastic on paper. Um, I think the league's forgotten what, you know, a healthy Kevin Durant can do. Um, and we'll get into more of that, but I, I'm less confident about the, the title um, chances of the Lakers than I was maybe last year, um, just because of those moves in the East. But at the same time, my Lakers have retooled. Uh, they have made the ro- roster different and I think better. You know, you're losing that style of, of true big men and, and shot blockers and rebounders and, and JaVale and Dwight that we had last year uh, and your defensive guards and Rondo and Avery Bradley. That style is gone, but now you have some stretch bigs. Um, you have a dog in Montrose Harrell down, down low. Um, and you're also going to see sort of, I mean, Kyle Kuzma, he has that contract extension. Um, there's been a lot of buzz over Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, I'm not as high and mighty as him and something in the Laker fandom, but he's going to get, he's going to get some solid playing time this year. Um, and I'm excited for him. You know, I think if he can give us that, that boost, um, you know, him and Kyle Kuzma are really going to be what set us apart. Um, because I expect good things from, from Marcus soul. I expect good things from, um, Dennis Schroeder. I expect great things from those guys, but can those, you know, Kuzma's entering, maybe his prime years are close to it. Not um, yet. Not yet. No, he's, he's, he's approaching it right. When this contract extension ends, he'll be kind of entering his prime. So can he work his way into, you know, signing a bigger contract or is, has he already hit his peak? Um, that's what I'm most interested in seeing from the Lakers um they're gonna do great lebron and ad are gonna sit a bunch during the regular season um but the expectation at the end of the day is is another championship and i think they can do it but i think it's gonna be tougher than than last year go ahead jota because your team's also competitive mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i will say what do the 76ers have in common with the last two champions um Danny Danny Green Danny, Danny Green that is true Danny Green so it's a guaranteed championship uh for the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> I mean it's just it's it's a cake it's cakewalk pretty much um you know yeah you know let's let's you know I, I almost wish we could just go play the Pistons for fun so we can go and hang out in Detroit land of the 09 champions and Danny can just do a walk of all his championship seasons you go to la go to detroit go to san antonio wherever he's got to go bring his pet snake with him but on in all, all honesty i think the thing that i'm looking forward to most the 76ers not a championship not being competitive um like turner's uh team i think it's it's fun uh last year was awful uh, between injuries um lack of chemistry um Al Horford didn't work. Tobias Harris was struggling. Um, I think Doc Rivers is a much better coach. I think Daryl Morey knows how to fit a team that at least is exciting. Ben Simmons, I think, is going to take a leap if he can stay healthy. And this would be one of the more interesting teams in the league, whether they're amazing and world-beating, I don't know. But you got people like Danny Green and Seth Curry on the wings now in place of people, like I said, uh, Josh Richardson and Al Horford, who are just so inconsistent um, on the perimeter for scoring. So um, we might be a little worse defensively, but it's the NBA. That's kind of part of, part, part of the course. You, you sacrifice a little defense, but what it does is open the game and it allows movement. Because if I say Al Horford and Joel Embiid are your starting big men, which Al Horford moved to the six-man position at times, but if they started a lot together. That is one of the slowest – and least fast break heavy teams you could all, all possibly imagine. Despite the fact of having one of the best fast break point guards in the league, you got a 6'10 center who has incredible handle on passing. That's exactly what you want. He's like LeBron without shooting in terms of that on, on the fast break. But it's just an issue where last year was so dull and you knew they were never going to go anywhere after the first couple months of the season. You're like, they just weren't going to get it done. And I'm just looking forward to enjoying the season and reveling in just fun passing three point shooting and just get a little bit of that swagger back. That was just honestly missing last year. 
Yeah, so I'll be very quick with the Thunder. We are, once again, uh, not scheduled for any nationally televised games for the entire season. Um, that should give you an idea into uh, where the team's probably going to be. Now, I have to admit, last season, um, Chris Paul was kind of an anomaly, but it taught me not to underestimate um, my team uh, with the Thunder, even, even if on paper it looks like they should be probably the worst team in the West. I think that um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is primed for a huge year. I think pretty much that's the general consensus feeling around the league. Um, I also think Al Horford's due for a rebound year. Uh, like Jota was saying, I just don't think Al Horford was a good fit for Philly, but I think he still has gas in the tank. Um, and it would mm-hmm. not surprise me if Al Horford has a rebound year, similar to how Chris Paul had a rebound year and his stock by the end of the season is higher again so that the Thunder can trade him for more um, draft pieces or, or, or future pieces pieces for for the thunder um you need more draft we do need more draft picks we're severely lacking in that category um but yeah i i think honestly we will probably won't be the worst team in the nba um i think there are too many bad teams in the east with the Cavs and the pistons um and so on that like we won't be the worst team I expect us to be one of the probably eight worst teams in the league. Um, But it kind of depends on how well Shea Gilgis takes over his franchise cornerstone role um, and how well the rest of the team blends in around him with Trevor Ariza, Al Horford, um, Darius Baisley, Justin Jackson, et cetera. Fair enough. I hope I hope Justin has a good season in OKC. You better take care of him. Just like oh, we're just gonna, like we're uh, gonna trust me. I, I I'm sure I'm sure y'all will. Um, but yeah, I I think it's gonna be an interesting. And I think maybe my team is the team that's. I mean, we have some new pieces, but kind of the same. We're trying to run it back. We're trying to do the same thing. And y'all's teams are sort of different strategies. Jonah's got a new head coach. Um. Adrian, your team is completely different. Um, the entire and, off season pretty much ran through Oklahoma city. So, you know, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a brand new season um, and it's just going to be so much fun. Uh, but now that we're sitting here before we've seen any, any games um, before we've seen anybody do anything um, we got to talk about our preseason awards. Uh, but of course the big one with that is the MVP um, Giannis is is the defending back-to-back MVP and and one of the front runners for it again this year and deservedly so. Um, I I don't see any reason why personally why he would not win the MVP for a third year. I know that we've seen back-to-back MVPs lose it in their third season before just because there's fatigue from the voters. Um, but if the Bucs are even better than they are, they were last year, which I think they will be, and Giannis puts up the same or better numbers than he did last year, which I think he will, he, there's literally zero reason not to give him the MVP again. Um, I know I'm disappointed in the um, postseason, but it, it's a regular season award, and he's going to continue to do great things. Yeah, I fully agree with the idea. I. I don't see how Giannis shouldn't, but at the end of the day, I don't think he will. I think it's because of voter fatigue. I think it's because of the nitpicky little things here. The offense is going to be a little different. I think Milwaukee's almost expected to be good. It's one of those things that are like, well, LeBron should win it every year. Well, he's just he's almost LeBron's almost too good for his own his own good. It's like if he has twenty eight eight and five, that's almost considered a down season, and that's where Giannis has gotten um, at this point in the season uh, when his career. Um, I think and honestly, his well numbers are even better. It's a great pick. Yeah, yeah. honestly, his numbers yeah, are and, even better and, than and Giannis. And uh, could you imagine Giannis's stats? Yeah, could you imagine where Giannis's stats would be if he played all four quarters most of the time? Like he ben- they bench him after the third quarter, like it seems every third game, because he just doesn't need to play because they're up twenty, um, and they're so deep. They'll sit him for the first four minutes of the fourth, and if it's still blow, they'll keep him out. Because of that, 
and because the NBA is so predicated on storylines, um, I think the one that we're going to see, uh, the name we're going to keep flashing up because he's a fan favorite, he's a league favorite, Luka Doncic. Um, I think Luka has a chance to steal our hearts this year, have a 28-10-6 kind of year, get the Mavs a top four seed maybe, and I think it could be his award this year. Yeah, plus I he's, think. Let's say, plus he's a thick boy now too. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Luca is the betting odds favorite in Vegas. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a great choice. I had to. I, I don't like my pick, but I think I'm going to be right. Um, I think this year. Anthony Davis will probably win his first MVP. Um, I know that'll make you happy, Turner. The reason I say I I am totally down with that. The reason why I say that the Lakers are coming off off a ring, um, and last season it was kind of a battle between like, okay, LeBron's probably the best player on the team, but Davis is the most productive. Um, and once people kind of figured out, okay, Davis is is just going to be a freak um, on this team while LeBron's kind of like the stability for it. Um, Anthony Davis's name has has never shown brighter than it has this offseason. I think LeBron, we we are amazed every year. And every year there's people who are like, he's going to be slower. He's not going to be what he was. I'm not saying that LeBron's going to be like worse by a significant amount this year, but I think the past like two years, you could see just a, a, a minuscule decline um, in his athleticism. This past year, he led the league in assists because he could, because he could, he could give the ball off to Anthony Davis um, and he could allow Davis to kind of control the, the offense from a scoring perspective. Now, obviously, LeBron still put up, what, like 27, 10, and, and 8. So, I mean, LeBron's still putting up numbers. Um, I just think this year LeBron will probably take another step back um, in terms of scoring. I think he might average more assists than he averaged last year. Um, and I think Davis is going to be the primary um, beneficiary of that. I also think having a true point guard, not true point guard, but a point guard in Dennis Schroeder, um, that can also kind of create opportunities for Davis is going to serve him well. I was going to say, I think it's really cool that we have three different uh, takes, but I could, I could believe I, either of you really. Um, Cause I mean, from, from the Lakers standpoint, I like your fan standpoint. If AD plays like he did in the bubble, he probably is going to win MVP. And to your point, when LeBron's on the bench and AD still in the game and Dennis Schroeder's in the game, there were points last year where the Lakers, you know, they relied on AD to run the offense when LeBron was off the court, but he didn't have that ball-creating guard-type player really on the court with him. Yeah, uh, Rondo was there sometimes. Um, and so you're right. If if AD has that player on the court with him the entire game, that dude could have a monster year, and then he he could win an MVP. It's just it kind of depends on, on where he goes. Um but yeah, no, I, I can totally see that happening. I just, Giannis is just going to continue to blow our yeah. minds. I also want to say Giannis is going to be the best player in the league next year. Like no matter what Luca does, no matter what Anthony Davis does, Giannis will be the best player in the league next year as he has been probably, probably the last two years. That is a good transition. I think into defensive player of the year, um, because my thoughts on defensive player of the year is that whoever doesn't win the MVP between, I mean, maybe Luca wins the MVP and neither of them win the MVP, but whoever doesn't win the MVP uh, between AD and Giannis, I know Giannis is reigning MVP and defensive player of the year. Whichever one of them doesn't win MVP is going to win defensive player of the year. And and I think, because I think that Giannis is going to win MVP, that Anthony Davis is going to win defensive player of the year. Um, we, we talked about his offense in the bubble, but some of his defensive play in the bubble is what really uh, kind of impressed me and, and went a little unnoticed. It was, it was definitely noticed, but I mean, 
offensive play is is more glamorous than defensive play, um, and understandably so. Uh, but I I think he he wins defensive play of the year this year. I wholeheartedly disagree. Nice. Um, I I think for the past couple of years really for the past decade almost a majority of the players who have won um defensive player of the year have been big men Giannis Rudy Gobert etc etc um I mean you had Kawhi in there and you had um you had other players in there but I mean Marcus all won it over LeBron like (laughs) That it's been a league kind of predicated around big men winning defensive player of the year. I think this year that's going to kind of change. I think the debate will be around Drew Holiday or Ben Simmons. Um, I Drew Holiday is probably one of my top three or five favorite players in the league. He's an incredible guy. Um, but I, as much as I want to pick him for defensive player of the year, I think it's going to be Ben Simmons. Um, what Jonah was talking about with Philly and and Simmons and Ben having shooters around him and having a team that kind of fits him a little bit better, I think is not only going to be- benefit them on the offensive side of the ball, um, but the amount of steals that Ben Simmons comes up with, the amount of deflections that he comes up with, it's actually going to like show itself a little bit more um it's gonna be better presented because they're gonna capitalize on the fast break a lot more often um due to ben simmons defense and and i I was looking at some numbers um before this podcast every year it's a little interesting every year ben simmons usage rate has gone down in brett brown's system and as a result um his his defensive win shares have have also like minimally dropped every single season i think in doc river system ben simmons is going to get a far higher usage rate um i think it would be a little ridiculous not to allow ben simmons to have a usage rate usage rate above 23 percent um and i could totally see Ben Simmons averaging like two and a half assists this year. He hasn't averaged a block um, in a season this during his career, but I could totally see it happening this year. Um, and I think Ben's kind of primed for a breakout year in general. He could even be a dark horse MVP candidate if the 76ers are really, really good, like better than people expect. Um, but I could definitely see him winning defense player of the year. Well, um, get ready for a Turner or Medlicott eyebrow raise because uh, I 100% agree with Adrian Walker. Um, <laughs> that was actually shocking going to be my pick was going to be uh, Ben Simmons, a point guard from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I th- and I'll, I'll honestly adding to everything Adrian said there because I think the system the usage, um, the style, just the vibe around the team is going to be huge. I think the we talk about storylines. Think about every Eastern Conference team. Almost every single one of the best teams is started around a wing player or a point guard. Who is going to be guarding that on every single team? Ben Simmons. Yep. You could say JoJo might be a better defender. I don't think he is because he's just too slow to be versatile. But Ben Simmons is going to guard Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, maybe even Kyrie because he can cover both. He's going to be the one slapped on Giannis Antetokounmpo most likely. He'll be the one slapped on Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Like Ben Simmons is going to put on a show because every time people like they're going to buy league pass and they're like, oh, I want to see this player. They're playing the Sixers. Ben Simmons is going to be guarding the best player 95% of the time. And he's probably going to do a pretty dang good job a lot of the time, because I think he's the best defensive point guard in the league um, in terms of just his, his wingspan, his versatility, his athleticism. Um, I don't think he'll be in the MVP conversation due to his inability to shoot unless that changes this year. But I think he could, like Adrian said, have a breakout year due to his versatility um, his swagger and if he can stay healthy it just overall he has a defensive demeanor 
and he can bring back the grit that Philly so desperately wants. And uh, I think he will or very well is going to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. Next is, is most improved player. Um, I think that SGA wins that just because that dude is going to average some bonkers numbers because he's pretty much all the thunder got. Um, y'all got any other other thoughts or any other players for most improved? Nope, I'll upvote that. Shea Gil just I love it. I love SGA, and I would be kind of surprised if he doesn't. Um, a bit of homer pick, but considering how electrifying he can be and the, how he looked towards the tail end of the season, and not just because he was getting numbers, but how good he looked, Kobe White's going to be in, discu- in the discussion, I think. Yep. Oh, that dude's gonna have a breakout year. I'm so excited for him. One, uh, one more name, one more name to throw into that conversation. We haven't talked about him since he was drafted because Luca and Trey Young have kind of dominated that that draft class. But DeAndre Ayton this year, with Chris Paul at the helm of the offense, should have a monster year. He should, he he could totally be in the conversation. Um, Chris for most improved for for elevating his big men. And yes. Aiden is is a player on the rise, so that's a great combo too. Absolutely. Um, beyond that, we've got Rookie of the Year. Um, I said I think the first episode of this podcast that I knew like maybe three names in this year's draft. Um, so I don't know if my vote means much, but I think it's going to be uh, Lamelo. That guy has wowed everybody in the preseason. He's going to make the Hornets actually fun to watch, even if they still stink. Um, and he's going to get a lot of storyline. So my worry about LaMelo is going to be his like, Oh God, percent three point percentage, uh, on the year. Um, I, I, LaMelo is going to be my pick, but I will change it just for funsies and to bring up <laughs> another name. And because he was announced that he was going to be the starting center, uh, today, James Wiseman. Um, that dude is probably going to put up a lot of baskets, especially just, you know, Steph Curry's a crazy shooter, but when he misses, you're going to have a seven foot athletic uh, center just to grab the ball, grab the ball and slam it back down or alley oops. Just warrior centers are usually just plain. They get 10 points just for being there a lot of the time. And that dude could e- easily average 15 this year if they want him to, but it depends how much he plays. When a rookie who hasn't really played college ball, really hasn't played since high school, wows Steph Curry and Draymond Green, who are proven winners and and championship winners um, at that, and wows them in the preseason just with his energy play ability, that's a dude that that is dangerous. Um, With that being said, I have to go LaMelo. I feel like it's just a little bit too can't miss. Um, I kind of felt the same way about John Morant last year. The only difference would have been if, if Zion had come back um, earlier and played more games. But if, if Zion was out, like we kind of expected him to be, Jaw was the consensus pick last year. I think LaMelo should be the same this year. Um, I actually have some numbers um, with LaMelo that I think from this preseason kind of kind of sums up um, what he could potentially do this year. Um, in about 21 minutes of play, uh, he averaged 11 points, five rebounds, four assists um, over the preseason. And if you translate that to per 36, um, it comes out to 18.8 points, 8.5 rebounds, 6.8 assists. Now, granted, we don't know how many minutes Lamelo is actually going to get. He could average more like 28 to 30, somewhere in there instead of like 36. Um, but those numbers per 36 are, are similar to what John Morant did last year. Um, and Charlotte should be a lot of fun to watch, regardless of what kind of numbers Lanella puts up, they'll still be a fun team to, to kind of watch this year. All right. So moving, moving on from that, I, I, I am really excited to watch the Hornets, which sounds so weird to say, um, but <laughs> Six man of the year. Um, I'm going to let one of y'all start that off for me. Um, I sort of have some thoughts about it, but I, I haven't really put much thought to it. So whichever one of you wants to take it first, uh, Adrian, if you want to share your thoughts on six man of the year. Yeah. So I think there are a couple potential candidates that you can look at. 
Um, Eric Bledsoe got traded from Milwaukee to um, New Orleans, and now he's probably going to be the backup point for Lonzo Ball. Um, and he should theoretically put up some big numbers um, in the six-man spot. Lou Williams is always a, a pick that you can kind of go with every year. Um, I think Danilo Gallinari in Atlanta is, is a sneaky pick. He's going to be um, the, the, the backup small forward. And if you watched him in Oklahoma City last year when he was finally fully healthy for a full season, he was averaging like 19 points um, on really efficient shooting. He could totally be um, just a, a, a pure scorer off the bench for Atlanta. Um, but my pick personally is Spencer Denwitty. Um, I think Kyrie in Brooklyn's going to be quite um, the experiment this year. I don't know how well it's going to play out, but what I do know is that when Kyrie isn't playing, Spencer Dinwiddie has looked like an NBA um, like starting point guard for the past year and a half or so. Um, I kind of hope he gets his own team fairly soon. I don't like seeing him cooped up behind Kyrie. Um, but I think regardless of, of what Kyrie and Kevin Durant, Karis LeVert do this year, Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie is still going to get his minutes and he's still going to put up numbers. Um, that would be my choice for six man of the year, but I think it's a, a very interesting category this year. It's a little bit more difficult to project than it is most years. Yeah, I have no idea, honestly, this year. It's such an odd season, and I feel like picking Lou Williams is kind of lazy. I almost said this, right? But, I mean, it's a good pick. Um, I would honestly think Spencer Dinwiddie has the best shot unless he gets moved. Um, but I have no idea who's actually going to be starting um, in the backcourt for the Sixers. But I think it'd be super interesting if Seth Curry comes off the bench. I think he has a chance to light it up off the bench, shooting threes and put up about 18 or so a game um, and being Ben Simmons' favorite uh, bench player. And he'll probably play a lot if if he doesn't start, which case, oh, well. But I'll probably say Seth Curry if he doesn't start. Fair enough. Um, I, I think one more name that I, I just kind of thought about, I don't think he actually wins it because Utah is Utah. Um, but Jordan Clarkson just signed a, a decent contract with them in the off season. And he has looked pretty good. I'm really happy for him. He kind of had a darker period, um, not a darker period, but just a, a less productive period upon his exit from the Lakers. But it seems like he's found his, his role um, where he can be effective uh, in Utah. Um, and so if he continues to improve as he grows with that team, uh, he could be a dark horse for that. For that. I don't think he gets it because, again, who, who really cares about Utah? But um, that's another name that could be thrown around there. Um, but beyond that, coach of the year. Uh, I think this one is really interesting. We got some new coaches in the league. Um, Steve Nash, uh, head coach of – of the nets. And then we also have, um, you know, some, some movement, you know, we got doc rivers, but my, my actual pick, because I think people kind of see them, them sliding off in a more competitive East this year is, is it very well could be Eric Spolstra for the Miami heat. Um, if they run back the performance they did in the bubble and they're a top four seed in, in the East, I'd be hard. It'd be hard to argue with that. I mean, um, he, we, everyone knows that he's a great coach. So his, his name might be thrown, you know, to the side a little bit because of that. But if they're, if they're a three seed in the East uh, with pretty much the same roster and they continue that success and that gross growth with those young players and Jimmy Butler, um, I, I'd be hard to argue against Eric Spolstra winning it this year. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I think Eric Sprolstra was going to be one of my probably top two, um, just because though we knew the Heat are good, they weren't though really last year. They they were they were average um, in the regular season, average for a good team at least. So I think he is a great pick. So I think that they could be good. Um, seeing again, following storylines, and just to go full homer on this whole selection, I might just go Doc Rivers because if Philly actually picks it up and and scrapes off from what was a travesty of a season and they actually win something in terms of like a top three seed or something, it's going to be hard to ignore them because when you look at the bucks, Bud is just 
it's almost a boring pick. They're just not going to go with Coach Bud, almost guaranteed, no matter how many wins they get. And I just – I think the Sixers are going to be too much of a story, honestly. So, I wanted to to go Eric Spolstra um, just because it's kind of a safe pick, but I also really like the way he coaches that team. Um, but I think something that, that's kind of understated and, and wasn't talked about as much as it should have been talked about last year was how much Chris Paul's presence propelled Billy Donovan into um, the coach of the year conversation. I think Billy Donovan's a decent coach. I used to not like him at all, really. I think he's a decent NBA head coach. Um, I think he's definitely going to be an improvement in Chicago. Um, but Chris Paul is now on the Suns. Um, and Monty Williams was already, in my opinion, a quite good coach. Um, but with Chris Paul's presence, with the emergence of hopefully DeAndre Ayton and and a true prime year um, from Devin Booker, you I could totally see Monty Williams. Um, if the Suns are, are a competitive team in the West, um, I could totally see Monty Williams getting the award because he he's also a really good dude. He he deserves it. That, that that speech we saw from him at their their end of their season in the bubble was got him sort of on the national radar. I think yep. plus beyond their performance, you know. Um, so. That's why I mentioned him too, because he's just great dude. Gonna have probably a great season with them. As another NBA talk, we don't have a ton of time left, but we we have been waiting and itching to talk about UNC basketball for weeks now. So we need to at least talk about them for a little bit. Um, we are f- five and two now. God, I I'm really dropping the facts. Um, we're five and two. Uh, losses to um, number four now, uh, Iowa. Um, and I don't know what ranking they are now, uh, Texas, but it's two ranked teams, lost to two ranked teams, have won against the rest of our schedule. Most recent win was against Kentucky, uh, which kind of has put their program in an interesting place that we won't get to. But um, an overall, I'd say, decent start to the season. Um, I think emotions about this team have been crazy all over the place um but if you could in 30 seconds sort of sum up what you guys have have thought about this team so far and what you you know what you can expect as we start um conference play tonight against nc state um i'll let i'll let you kick that off adrian what is what have your thoughts been so far with the the heels this season well, I think the general consensus among fans is that we're in for another fairly down year. Um, we're still kind of working our way back from a rebuild. I think this team's a little bit more talented than people are giving them credit for. I think um, it has the, – the team has like sweet 16 sort of potential, um, but nothing really beyond that. Um, I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of Dayron Sharp. Um, it's one of my favorite UNC players or, or uh, freshmen to come through the program in years. Um, I think Armando Baycott's taken a huge step forward this year. Um, and if we can continue to dominate rebounds and the paint in general, um, like we have done in a majority of our wins so far this year, we should be um, pretty good moving forward. Yeah, I will. Um, if I had to sum it up in more, more I'd say expected. Um, this is a extremely inexperienced team. You expected bad turnovers from the likes of R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, including Dayron Sharp and Walker Kessler. Um, as much as I like all of the freshmen, this has potential to be the best freshman class um, since the Justin Jackson, Joel Berry, Theo Pinson class, um, and maybe even before that. Because if Caleb Love stays stays another year, he could be amazing. But I think the the we I have two keys to this other than just wait and let them get experience new keys are finding a true number two um i love rj and i think he deserves to start but he's just not a great two he is a one and i think he could be the one of the best six men in the acc if he came off the bench and that i mean the goals like we we've talked about before anthony harris is kind of the goal but he's injured and you have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes out and play tech is as good as he's improved this year is a bit of a defensive liability 
Um, and the other thing I would say is um, Daron Sharp, huge fan of him. It is everyone in the front court needs to step up. Baycott's the only one that's really stepped up to his potential so far. As good as Daron Sharp has been, massively inconsistent. Walker Kessler has been a little disappointing, but lack of game time, lack of practice, I get it. Tons of potential. You can see it in his touch, but it's just his free throws aren't falling. His threes aren't falling. He looks a little slow out there, a little lost of where to be. Every Roy Williams championship team has been built inside out, whether it be Sean May, whether it be Tyler Hansborough, Kennedy Meeks. You know, that's how we build our teams. Um, I think this has potential to be the best front court in America. Simply put, you have Armando Baycott, Garrison Brooks, Walker Kessler, and Dayon Sharp. No reason they shouldn't be if they step up, but it's going to live and die by um, that willingness to step up on the big stage. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with most of what y'all said. Um, I think to add on to that, you know, big man talk, uh, I know Garrison Brooks has has been disappointing at times uh, and frustrating at times this year. Um, you know, as someone who was selected preseason ACC player of the year um, and deservedly so, I think there's just such a huge difference for him this year. Last year, you know, Armando was was all right, but Armando was a freshman. He was still learning it, and, and Garrison pretty much had to carry that team on his back for most of the year, and he doesn't have to do that anymore. Um, and I, That's a, just an entirely different role when he has three other dudes. Uh, Walker, Walker Kessler right now at this point in the season is a little iffy, but I'm, I'm confident he'll grow into at least a more consistent player by year's end. Um, and you have a much improved Armando and uh, inconsistent, but dominant big men and De'Ron Sharp uh, to back you up. Uh, and he just needs to get more into his game and more into his role. Um, and the other thing is, is patience. I, I, I get as frustrated as, as the next fan when, when Caleb Love turns the ball over on a telegraphed post entry pass. Um, but this, this guy is, is a slasher. He's not a pass for first guard. That stuff is going to come in time. Um, and the, the, uh, the biggest thing I think that hurts this team, and we've talked about it not on here, but between ourselves, is that we just we don't have that wing player. We don't have that established Cam John, Johnson who can knock down a three or who can cut to the basket and create space. And, and Leaky is supposed to be that for us. Erwin Walton? Maybe. I, I, I hope so. I hope maybe he's the answer. But Leaky is is also been disappointing he, he just does not seem to know what his role is on the offense and never feel confident with him with the ball on offense. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever have an established wing player, but getting leaky, some sort of a feel on the offense of, of creating space, at least for people, or getting Kerwin more involved that they're his big game against Kentucky is sort of how this team goes from the, oh gosh, it's going to be a down year to, hey, we can make it a sweet 16, like Adrian said. Um, I think to, to sort of pass it off for now, and I, I know we'll, we'll talk maybe more about them next week in depth. Um, we've talked about, at least Adrian, you mentioned you think this team can be, you know, a sweet 16 team. Um, and I, I'm still confident this team makes the tournament um, in some capacity. I think anyone who thinks that we're missing the tournament again is, is a little too uh, hungover from the, the dredges of, of last season. Um, but as far as, as conference play goes, we're starting that tonight. Where do you think this team finishes in the conference? It's, it's a tough sell, really. Um, I think they could easily finish second. I think they could easily finish sixth um, or even lower. Um, it's, it's a hard sell. It depends how fast these guys mature because conference play has, a, has a, a habit of grinding you down to a place where you're lost all your confidence because unfortunately that's kind of where Armando was last year, or it can lift you up um, and you can become like Kobe white and hit your stride. So I would say probably comfortably around that fourth spot. I think it's really hard year to project. Um, Like you said, we are kind of coming off of last year where expectations were a little higher coming into the season, just because, I mean, there's no reason not to be, um excited and then this year we're kind of coming in with like okay 
what's the worst that we can be and kind of building off of that. Um, I think four is a pretty good spot to project. I could easily see them being number two or contending for number one um, this year. I think the ACC is a league this year where a lot of the expected um, teams are not going to be as good. I don't think UNC is going to be as good again. I don't think Duke's going to be as good. I don't think Virginia is going to be as good. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting year in the ACC um, in terms of what teams actually show up. Um, and if, if UNC's freshmen um, or just young players in general do mature, they could easily vie for the, the second or the, the top spot. But I'm going to go with fourth. I think fourth's a pretty good projection. I, I kind of agree with y'all. Um, I think I'll say third just for, for funsies. Um, I'll be a little bit more confident, but three, three to five range is kind of where I see us. I'm not really, like you said, I'm not confident in anybody in the, in the ACC. Um, all the teams in the ACC potentially due to just the nature of this season have, have looked shaky at times. Um, are we the, I think we might be, or maybe Virginia's ranked above us, but I think we might be the highest ranked ACC team for right now. Um, Cause Duke is below us, Florida state's below us. Um, but that doesn't mean anything right now. Conference play hasn't started. Um, but I don't think we're going to be anywhere near the, the bottom half of the ACC like we were last year. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, we're we're going to start the season off with a win. I'll go ahead and say it tonight against NC State because it's NC State. Um, blame blame it on me if we lose. If we lose, well, you're probably going to hear this after the game. But if we if we lose tonight, y'all can blame it completely on me. But before before we do, uh, just a quick shout out now that it's official. UNC football is orange bowl bound um, for forward. those of you who, who <laughs> don't know have somehow missed it. That's a new year's six bowl. It is one of, if not the biggest, probably the biggest bowl that UNC football has ever had in its history. Um, we'll definitely do a, a deeper dive into that in, in the coming weeks as we get closer to the game, but such a huge, huge moment for this program um, a, a, a huge shining uh, of what is to come for this program. And just, I, I could not have been happier this weekend when we got that news. We sort of expected it to come, but to see it actually happen, mm-hmm. to see UNC and Orange Bowl in the same sentence was, was one of the things that, you know, you probably won't forget. You'll be talking about this era of UNC football for, for a long time. Yeah, even making it as huge. Um... And I guess signing off with, for me too. Um, the last thing I'll say is, uh, one of I Christmas is my by far my favorite holiday. So Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas to every listener that we have. Um, I'm rounding out all my favorite playlists: the Kegnog Christmas, the Christmas Bops, all of that <laughs> stuff. And so I wanted to shout out Turner for telling me his favorite Christmas album is the co- collaboration album between Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Uh, specifically the the single is that you santa claus and it, it's been a great listen this week so shout out you man you're welcome and for once he actually named an artist that i have listened to so a christmas miracle indeed um but that's it that's it from us um merry christmas happy holidays uh continue to stay safe uh and just have a wonderful wonderful holiday uh we will see you next week Welcome back, NBA. (laughs) 